our series continuing called Jesus Is. So we've gone, of course, there are seven phrases that Jesus uses to refer to I am statements. We are working our way through them, and we are in the 10th chapter of John, and we're going to discuss an additional I am. And in the way we're doing it is we're, rather than he says I am, but because, you know, we conjugate verbs in English, we say he is, or Jesus is. And therefore, and I believe it's a good idea to do things like that because it gets it set in your mind better. Rather than just remembering, like, well, you can, I know people who can quote scripture and they have no idea what it means. So I think it's a lot better to personalize it. Give a name to it. It's Jesus. Jesus is. So Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door for the sheep. We're going to be start reading in the first verse of the 10th chapter of John. <clears throat> it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. This parable Jesus spake unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, for the time, for those who've come out, that we will get a a good message of just how we can get more in touch with who you are and be filled with you a little bit more each day so that as we go out into the world, we can we can truly be your ambassadors to this world. We ask for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we see here that is he's talking about Jesus is the door, meaning Jesus is the only way to heaven, the only means of salvation. There's never any other way, no matter what. I'd mentioned a couple weeks ago how that people love to talk about Jesus, about, oh yeah, he was a light. He was a light in the darkness. He was a great Buddhists and Hindus, and they'll love, oh, he was a great guy. They love him up until he becomes exclusive. The moment he says, I am the only way, at that point, not so much. But it, he says it a lot. He is the only way. There is no other way at all. And that is one of the few... I'm When it comes to a lot of theology, I'll just sit back and let people talk. But when it comes to that, that's one of the few things that I will throw down about. Because I, there is no other way Amen. to heaven. It's Christ. 
And that's something we should be willing to contend for. That's something we need scripture to be able to back up if we need to. That's something we need to understand. How, how are you going to defend it? You say, well, well, Jesus is the only way. And we'll need to be able to know him, know his essence, know who he is, and be able to express it and express it well. So that's why we say, well, Jesus is the door. He's the only way. Now, I don't, I don't want us to lose the metaphor because it's interesting. People like to focus on just one word or one sentence when this entire thing is meant to be understood as a whole. We don't say words just one at a time. You know, if I said walk, what does that mean? Nothing. If I said I walked, and what does that mean? I walked to the store. Great. We still have nothing. And yet people will build entire theologies around a sentence, forgetting the fact that it has an entire set of scripture around it that describes what it's talking about. So I don't want us to lose the metaphor of the door because in, if you notice in the, in the ninth verse, it says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He's not referring to the fact people are, say, are saved and unsaved. He's not talking about it. This is just because he's using the analogy of the sheep pen. He's saying that, well, the sheep come in and out and they're joyful and they're happy. This is not the salvation part of it. It's, it's, the metaphor is of him being the door to salvation because we're his, because of the shepherd part. The coming in and out, that's because, you know, back in the, especially it still happens today, but back then, when you had sheep, they would, whether it was an open pen or what, they would put stuff around. They put branches, they put things, they built up walls. And then there would be an open spot, and the shepherd oftentimes would lay in front of the door. Because as long as he, wasn't in, he was in front of the door sleeping, the sheep wouldn't go out. They wouldn't leave, and they were safe in there because he knew where they were. And they would be safe, and they would sleep better, and they would be comforted by the fact that they were enclosed. But the sheep want out. They want to graze. They want to move. They want to have the space. They want to interact with each other out in the sun. So there, it's, it's a pleasant experience when the shepherd says, okay, come out, and he brings them to pasture. That's where the analogy for that goes. Again, there's literally, you can go online, you can go to other churches, and they'll try and meet all kinds of things about losing salvation, not losing The in and out of pasture thing just refers to the fact that God wants us to, he wants us to enjoy our salvation, even if it's not necessarily in a joyful situation. I mean, we might, people get saved. You know, think about it. There's people who were saved in North Korea, and they ended up in prison working hard labor for years. That wasn't a joyful experience. But they found, even when they get released and they're talking about it, they still had to join their heart as they went through that because they had the light in their heart as they went through that. So you might not experience something that's great, but you can have that joy of knowing that there's something better. So Jesus wants us to inside, where it counts, wants us to, to find that pasture, have that good sense, have that ability to be happy even when things aren't necessarily going well. So the analogy we're going with is the door. 
Deuteronomy 28.6 says, Blessed shalt thou be that comes and goes, and blessed shalt thou be who goes and comes back. So, it's referring to the fact, blessed, in the Bible when you see blessed, you could say happy, enviable. Those are words that are also blessed in the Bible, the word for that. So, happy are those who come and go, who, who have open, you know, have an open dialogue with God, have an open experience with God. But I want to consider three aspects of Christ as the door for the sheepfold. The first is, Jesus is the passage of admission to heaven. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. So one thing, the reason why I love that particular one is because it shows the Trinity. Through him, the second in the Trinity, the Son, Jesus, we have access to God the Father by the Spirit. So the Trinity is all involved there. That's, that's, they all have a play, they all play a role there. But so Jesus is the only way, as we've went through. He's the only passage. He's the only way to get there. And the reason why that needs to be important is because when we understand that he is the only way, then we can consider the second point, which is Jesus is the absolute provider and the proprietor of salvation, meaning he is the one who provides it, he's the one that perfects it, and he's the one that benefits from it. He says that the father, we are sheep, and the Father gives him the sheep. And he takes the sheep, and they can never go out of his hand. So he gains from the sheep. Last week we had talked about what, how do you know that he's the shepherd? How do you know a shepherd compared to a hireling? Because the shepherd owns the sheep. They receive something from the sheep. The sheep know him, and he is the one who benefits from it. That's how you can know the owner, is he benefits from the sheep. Well, in this case, it works again because Jesus is the way to salvation and he is building the kingdom with souls. So he is the one who, who is the benefactor. He's the one that gets it. And if you think about it that way, if you change it from us thinking, like there's people out there in the prosperity movement that will say things like, God wants you to live your best life now. It's not for us. If you think about the fact that it's for him, he's the one that benefits. So what are we doing that benefits him? Not what are we doing that benefits us? What are we doing that benefits him? Because if you say, well, you know, he suffered, he died, he had this terrible fate so that we can live a better life. Why don't we ask Peter about the life that Peter lived? Because he knew Christ. Christ died for him. What was his life like? How did his life end? strung up on a cross, just like Jesus said it would. Is God really worried about us living our best life now? If we live our best life now, then what's the point of heaven? What's the point of heaven? So who benefits while we're here on earth? We're working to benefit the shepherd. We're working to benefit Christ. So the second point is, is that he is the one that gives salvation, but he's also the one that benefits from it. He's the one that benefits, not us. He's given us a gift. He's the one. He, he bought it. He paid for it. It's his. Our salvation is his. So he's the benefactor. I wrote down, the issue is, is that not only is he the absolute, but he's absolute, absolute power, absolute ability. 
Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate that broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go there, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few find it. Romans 5, 2 says, By Jesus we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. So God will give you tribulation sometimes just to work patience in you so that ultimately it can work to the good. And the great part about Christ being the absolute provider, the absolute power, is that means he is also the guardian of this. He is the one who maintains. We don't have to worry about, it says when you go out into the world, don't worry about what you're going to say. We just read that today. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to do. Holy Spirit will provide. They'll give utterance when you don't have utterance, when you don't have the words, they'll provide it. He is an absolute control, but he's also the guardian of our faith. He's the one who gave it his life for it, and he's the one that has perfected it. He's the ultimate guardian. Let's go to Acts 7, and we're going to read. And the reason why I say we're going to do this is because I want to point out something that a lot of people kind of miss about Christ, and that is a lot of people act as though Christ was new to the scene in the New Testament. Kind of like, well, you have the Old Testament, you got God the Father kind of doing his thing. Yahweh, God, that they were following. And the second kind of came around in the, in the New Testament, and people didn't really know about that, and it kind of figured it out in the New Testament. That's not true. Christ is all through the Old Testament. Christ is mentioned all through the Old Testament. He's the embodiment of God. When God wanted something done, he said, I'll send myself. And he came down in the form of an angel or a man, a messenger, and he did it. Well, who did that? Jesus did that. That was Christ. That was the pre-incarnate Christ who did that. So we're going to go in with Acts 7. This is where uh, Stephen, the first martyr, is doing his sermon. In the 24th verse, or, yeah, in the, 20, or in the, 50, the, the uh, 45th verse, 45th verse, it says, um, well, we'll start a little earlier than that, just because I want to point the, make the point out that Stephen is attacking the Jewish people, saying that they're not following God. They're making, they made up their own religion, they're not following God. And it says in 43, it says, And yea, you took up tabernacles of Moloch, and the star of your god Remphram, and figures which he made to worship them. And I will carry you away to Babylon. This is God saying why he, he punished the Jewish people. 44, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that what that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. 45. For which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of the fathers unto the days of David. Okay. That's talking about the time when they were in the wilderness. It's saying that their fathers in the wilderness, when they went into the new land, Jesus was there. 
leading them. Now, there's an argument, because people in, in academia, they'll say, new Bible translations, who has a new, does somebody have like a new translation of NIV or a new King James or something like that? It says Joshua. You know why it says Joshua? Because the Greek word there is isios, which means Yeshua in Aramaic. Aramaic Yeshua, that was, that was Christ's name in his native tongue. It means God's Savior or God's salvation. The word Joshua in Hebrew, not in Aramaic, in Hebrew is Yehoshua, which means God is salvation. They say, well, the problem here is, is that they just made a translation error. They were supposed to mean God is trans. You know, just Joshua, obviously, after Moses led the people in, there's just a translation error there. There's just a translation error there. And so, for 400 years, I guess the Bible was just wrong. Or, we can jump back to Joshua chapter 5, and we can read and see what the Bible has to say. So we're going to go back to Joshua. That's the sixth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. In the fifth chapter, we're going to start in the tenth verse. And it says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover for on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And man, the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua, and that is Yehoshua, Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld there stood a man over against him, with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, that's the, all caps, so that's Yahweh, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe for off, from off thy foot, for the place whereon you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. What is the other time, what's the other time when you hear of, of a person talking, and they said, take your feet off, take your shoes off, <laughs> the burning bush. Why? Because he was talking to God. Nobody is allowed to be worshipped in the Bible except God. That is why it was appalling when people fell down to worship Christ and he let them. When people fell down to worship the disciples, they said, don't. 
When people fell down to worship Moses, he said, don't. When people fell down to worship anybody, they say, don't. <laughs> Jesus allowed it. And this man with a sword, who said he was the captain of the host of heaven, said, I'm here now. And what did Joshua do? Fell down and worshipped him. Did he stop him? No. He said, take off your shoes. This is holy ground now. Why? Because God was there. Because God was there. Jesus was there in the desert with, with the sons of Israel as they were out there. He was there physically watching over them, helping. And he provided. And if you notice, up until the moment where they got to eat the corn that was already growing in the land, they, he, God even continued to give manna to them to feed them until they could feed themselves off the land. But we see that is Jesus. And one other, we're going to go back to Exodus 23 just to make a point. Because this is not like this just happened. This was, God predicted this to him, what was going to happen. Exodus 23. We're going to go to the 20th verse in Exodus 23. It says, and this is God talking about the fact that when they go into, we'll go before that, you know, where they're getting ready to, to the 18th, because they're getting ready to go in, and Moses is saying he wants to go, and Moses isn't allowed to. But when you do, when you do eventually go, 18, thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of the sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in the mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. So he said he's sending someone before him. 21. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. Who's allowed to pardon transgressions? God. Why they say, who is Jesus that he pardons sins? And Jesus said, I have the power to pardon sins. Right here, it says, do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. That's Jesus. Jesus, he, he was told, when you go into the land, Jesus is going to be there. He's going to, he's, he will guide you through. Joshua, he will guide you through. So in Acts 7, that is not a misprint. Jesus was there. There's a reason why it said Isius, which is Jesus, and not Joshua. is because Jesus was there. He's always been here. He's always been there. He's always been the guardian of the way to salvation. It's always happened. He's always, he's from eternity past. What has he been doing all these years? He's been here. He's always been here. So I say all this, and okay, so what? Right? So what? Well, according to Matthew 7, 13, 14, many people are striving for heaven. Many people are striving. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people every day are going to hell. Every day they're going to hell because they can't find the door. Let's go to Luke 18. This is the same exact part as Matthew. 
7. They're the same story, but I like the reading in Luke better because it makes the point a little stronger. Luke 18, starting in the 18th verse. <clears throat> and it says, so Luke 18, 18 says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest me good? None is good save one, that is God. And again, the reason why he's making this point is, is that he's saying, you don't really believe who I say, I am who I say I am, so why even come to me and ask me these questions? That's what he's, Jesus is saying up front. You don't believe what you're saying, why ask me the question? 20. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother. 21. And he said, all these, this is the rich young ruler talking, and all these I have kept from my youth up. So, I like to always point out, that means he just lied. <laughs> he just lied. Because he said, I've done it all. 22. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lack you one thing. He's saying you lack one thing. You know what he lacks? Can you guess before we read? Humility. <laughs> Humility. He trusts in himself. He just said, I did all that. Humility. He has pride. He said, Yet lacks you one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute unto the poor, that thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard that, him say, heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly or how difficult shall they have that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when they heard it, they said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. It's not our salvation. God's salvation. His name literally means God's salvation. He is the one who does it. He is the only way. That's why so many people miss it. Is because every time we allow people to say, well, there are many ways to heaven. No, there's one way to heaven. And because people say there's many ways to heaven, there's thousands of people dying every day going to hell because of that. Yeah. Why? Because they're, they're focusing on themselves. Like the rich young ruler. The reason why it's hard for rich a rich person, especially in this time, to get to heaven was because, especially at this time, and we're seeing it again, unfortunately, with some of the prosperity preaching that goes on. They said, well, if you're rich, that means God's blessing you because he loves you more than everybody else. Well, Jesus just turned that on his head because it, he just said it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven. Because they're going to trust in their riches because they're going to say just that. Well, God loves me better. Evidently, I'm doing something right. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing. Again, if God wanted you to live your best life now, then why would you need anything else? Why would you need heaven if you lived your best life now? But that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. It's, it's difficult. It's narrow because there's only one way. So, the issue is, what are we going to do about it? Only one way. What are we going to do about it? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. I'm having you do a lot of scripture because I want to make the point that from the beginning... To the end of the Bible, it's all talking about the same thing. 
It's all connected. It's not a series of unconnected events. It's all connected. 1 Corinthians 3. And we're going to start in the 10th verse. It says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed now how he builds thereon. So he's making the point. Christ, Paul is saying, I am building on Christ, the solid rock, and I'm laying the foundation. And Paul is saying, I'm not going to see the building to completion. Sometimes we're not called to see it to completion. It's just that some people are called, because people say, well, some people sow and some people reap. No. If anybody's ever, this is a great area to know this, because you guys probably all know this. You don't just throw seed on a plant, on a field and it grow. You got to plow the land. You have to work the land. Sometimes you can't even plow it first. You have to give it some time. You have to grow some other stuff on it and and work it so that you can get some nutrients into the soil first. You have somebody has to water and churn that dirt over a few times before it's going to even be worth plowing so that you can plant. So somebody's got to do that dirty work and they're never going to see the harvest. They're not even going to know what that looks like. I mean, it's going to come so far later, they're not even going to get to see it. So some people have to do the hard work and the dirty work. And yes, some people get to throw the seeds on and some people get to help lead people to Christ and get to enjoy the harvest. But we all have different parts in that. And he's saying each person has to build on the foundation of the person before them. But he's saying, take heed how you build. Take heed how you build because Christ is the solid rock. Paul's putting a foundation. Now he's saying, take heed how you build. We're going to start 11th verse. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's saying any other way isn't a way. It's only Christ. 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. And these are referring to works. What are your works doing? Are your works are they shallow and soft? Are they easily breakable? Like, like, like hay, like stubble? Is it stuff easy? Is it difficult? Is it things that are hard to cut, hard to break? Rubies and silver and gold, things that are, 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 are they strong? Is, are you building with strong materials? Or are you building with weak materials? 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. This is in the day, this isn't at the judgment. For the days shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You could also say, pulled from the fire. So Paul's saying, listen, there's some people going to get to heaven and think, they, oh, I built all this stuff. I preached every Sunday. I did all these things. And God's going to test it with fire. He's going to say, that was built with straw. That burnt right up. And so that guy was that close to hell, even though he thought he had it made because he was a preacher. But guess what? He was building on the wrong foundation because he's telling people, you, can, you don't have to do what I'm saying. You don't have to follow. There are many ways to heaven. No, no. He might believe in Christ. 
and be saved, but he's leading other people. And so Paul's saying that person, you're, you're going to just barely escape hell. You're, you're only through the grace of God alone are you getting in. But some people you're building, guess what? Fire, you know, silver, gold, rubies. When tested by fire, they stay. When tested by fire, they stay around. So what are you building with? And what foundation? If the foundation is anything other than Christ, you don't even have to worry about it because God's because Paul here is talking about the fact that God isn't even going to work with any other foundation. If it's any foundation but Christ, they're gone. They're cast into the fire automatically because there's no foundation to even build upon. Works are all burned up. And the only thing that matters is the foundation. D.L. Moody, from the great evangelist to Moody Institute in Chicago, when talking about that first book, verse of John 10, and how it says that somebody who climbs in another way, he said, and I quote, I heard of a man some time ago who was going to get into heaven in his own way. He did not believe in the Bible or the love of God, but he was going to get in on account of his works. He was very self-conceited and gave a great deal of money, and he thought and worked very hard in the church. He thought that the more he gave, the better it would be for him in, in the other world. I don't, as a general thing, believe dreams mean too much, but sometimes they can teach good lessons. Well, this man dreamed one night that he was building a ladder to heaven, and he dreamed that every good deed he did put a rung on the ladder. And when he did an extra deed, extra good deed, it put extra rungs on the ladder. And in his dream, he kept going up and up and up until at last he got out of sight from earth, and he went on with his deeds, and the ladder went up higher and higher until he said that he saw it run up to the very throne of God. Then in his dreams, he thought he died, and that a mighty voice came rolling down from like thunder to him and said, He that climbs in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And down came the ladder, and he fell, and he fell, and he fell into the abyss. And he woke up out of his sleep and thought, If I go to heaven, I must go. I must not go by some other way. There is only one way. My friends, it is only by the blood of Christ that we go to heaven. If a man's got works, it's his way, then that's no way at all. So then what do we do? What do we do? Let's move one more flip to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. So we know all of our works burned up with fire. They mean nothing. The only thing that's important is the foundation that we build on. And in Matthew 28, in the 18th verse, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If we fully recognize Christ's authority, if we fully recognize him as 
the one who created, the one who perfected, and the only way, then we should be in submission and obedience to his will and command to go to get people, to get them saved, to get them baptized, to get them discipled, and to repeat. So we need to get people into church, into Bible studies. Invite people to church. If you're embarrassed of me, don't take them to this church. Take them to the church down the street. That's fine. Just get them in church. It doesn't have to be my church. Any church. It doesn't have to be your church. Invite them. If they think they want to go to the UMC, the Methodists are saved. Send them to the Methodists. They're saved. There's a couple churches. Ask them about later. I might tell you not to send them to, but that's fine. They're saved. It doesn't have to be our church. Get them somewhere. Get out there. Talk to them. Sometimes, you know what? I'm, I'm a nervous person. I get really, really nervous when I talk to people interpersonally. But you know what is worse than the fear and anxiety of, well, what if they think I'm stupid? Or what if they don't like me? What if they act hostile towards me? What if they go to hell? What if they go to hell? That is so much worse than if, what if you feel stupid? We need to get over ourselves. Go out there, talk to people, fight people. Again, it doesn't even have to be here. Just invite them somewhere. We need to fulfill that calling. You want to start a Bible study in your house? Great. Start a Bible study in your house and fill it with all your friends. Do something. We need to get out there into the highways, to the hedges, to the people, and get them discipled, get them saved, get them baptized, get them making more disciples and converts. It's how it works. That's what we do. And that only works if we are truly honest in our belief that Christ is the only way. Because if he is, then that means there's a lot of people going to hell. And we have a lot of churches and a lot of people claiming to be Christians, and that should not be. It shouldn't be. It just shouldn't. Yeah. We, we are. You know why it's so difficult for us? This goes back to the rich young ruler. Because all of us here in America are rich. We're all so well off. You right now, we are living better than most kings did 100 years ago. We have, we're going to, this next generation is probably going to be one of the first generations ever to never experience the loss of a child through their parenthood. Think about that. In the past, everybody expected. We don't even think of nowadays that 100 years ago, you had 16 kids. You were lucky if 10 or 12 of them got to adulthood. And then you're lucky if half of them had children and lived to be 50. Nowadays, we're talking about half more, more people will never experience that, that pain and that death than ever before. Why? Because we're living in America. It's not like that over in Africa. It's not like that over in India. They still have all those problems. We don't. So what is it? It's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. Why does it seem so much more difficult? Why can you walk over into Uganda and just start preaching on the corner and people come like just mad and get saved? Because when you have nothing, Jesus is all there is. But when you have all these things we can put our faith in, we can put our trust in, 
God's blessing us somehow. We are living off the blessings of a generation before us. We are living off the blessings of many generations before us. We need to get our act together because it is hard for rich people to get into heaven. And we need to get over ourselves, our comfort zone, and invite people, ask people. Just, if nothing else, when somebody says something, just say a word. Somebody's, oh, this and that. Well, I believe in God. That's all you have to say sometimes. And sometimes they'll even, they'll change. They'll change their attitude suddenly. Suddenly, they're not cursing quite the way they did before. Suddenly, they're not quite as quick to make whatever quick. We just have to stand up. And it's difficult because we all have a place of comfort now. But as my grandfather Johnson said, nothing worth mentioning has ever happened inside your comfort zone. Anything worth remembering happens outside of it. So let's do the Great Commission. Let's get out there and talk to people, invite people, love people. And if they say no, love them anyway. And go to the next. 85% of all people who go to church go to church because they were asked at some point by somebody else. It's the only way it works. Invitation, extend a hand, extend a ride, extend a car. We see that in this church. People help each other get to church. That's great. Let's keep it going. Let's keep building upon it. But we need to build upon that foundation that's Jesus because he's the only way. No other way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time, for the message of this book that from the beginning until the end has you on every page, that we can know that you have always been there and you will always be there and you will continue to guide and direct, that your spirit dwells within us and that it will give us utterance when we're worried, when we're scared, when we're nervous, we can rely on you, we can rely on the spirit, that it will work through us and that the most good will work and that we, everything we do will be for your benefit may you continue to watch us continue to hold us in your hand that no matter how unsure we feel we know we have safety and security with you I ask that you bless these people as we go out today and ask for all these things in your holy and precious name Lord Jesus Christ Amen